You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Do I have to come right flat out and tell you everything? Give me some money. So we want to talk a little bit about uh, the markets uh, right now. And we've got uh, Sandeep Bhagat back with us. He's Chief Investment Officer over at Whittier Trust. Uh, roughly $12 billion in assets under management based in Pasadena, California, in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio here in New York. Nice to have you back with us. It's so good to be here. It's been a busy, busy fall already. <laughs> and it's I only know, September never a dull moment. Fall, yeah. fall just got underway. Um, I'm curious about some of the, the constructive uh, conversations that you're having with institutional clients, uh, with investors, what are you hearing? And what do they want to know? Well, the big question is really triggered by the length of this economic expansion. People are on tenter hooks about when will that next recession be? Is it right around the corner? One, from the sheer longevity of this expansion, it's never lasted this long, so the end must be close. And there is so much uncertainty on the global trade war front, and it's on again, off again. Uh, And so that's beginning to take its toll. People are confused. They are less willing to make investments. If that should spill over beyond capital expenditures to hiring plans, then this could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Well, and that self-fulfilling nature seems to be something that we're hearing more and more. I feel like so many CEOs we talk to, especially, and big investors are saying, we're, we really are in danger of talking ourselves into a recession. So if you're Jay Powell and, and his colleagues at the Federal Reserve, how much are you worried about that sentiment versus whatever data you're seeing, especially from the consumer side? It is cause for concern, but I think that concern needs to be in the minority because on the positive side of the ledger, the U.S. economy is driven by the U.S. consumer. It's 70% of the U.S. economy. And the consumer is just healthy. The job market is solid. Confidence is high. Incomes are rising. So there is a lot going in favor of the U.S. economy. So why is the Fed lowering rates then if everything's so good? Correct. You would think that with unemployment at a 50-year low, there is no way on earth that the Fed should be thinking of lowering rates. So you think they're wrong? No, they're not wrong. Here's why they're doing it. There is this unbelievable dichotomy and bifurcation in the global economy. It's at two levels. One is services over manufacturing. The other is the sheer strength of the U.S. over the rest of the world. Both of these actually originate and emanate from one common factor, the global trade war. It has taken a bigger toll on the rest of the world than it has on the U.S. And because the rest of the world is weak, we do, after all, live in an interconnected world. And what if there were some contagion back onto our shores from this weakness? Mm -hmm. So to guard against that possibility. And by the way, rest of the world is experiencing negative interest rates. So the higher our rates are, it just makes the imbalance worse in terms of the strength of the dollar, fun, flow of funds right, into right. the U.S. economy. So they're kind of straddling this this imbalance. They're reluctantly cutting rates. Think of them as insurance mm-hmm. rate cuts. They don't need to do it. They're doing it to avoid the worst case scenario. For the global economy. For the fact that the global economy could begin to affect the U.S. Right. All right. So, you know, we love talking names. So tell us where you're looking in a market like this to, you know, find some some value and some growth. 
So we think companies that can deliver high, stable, sustainable cash flow generation and growth, those are the places to be. And quite curiously, if you're looking for high free cash flow margins, they really come to you from two sectors, mainly from one, it's technology. Mm -hmm. These are companies that have created these margins and profitability through a huge investment in R&D and from having intellectual capital. And so I, I know the there is regulatory risk with a subset mm -hmm. of the tech sector, mm -hmm. but there are names that are really not affected. Microsoft, for example, comes to mind. The company's completely rediscovered itself. This is a perfect example of a stock to own for the long time, for the rest of your lifetime, and possibly for intergenerational wealth transfer. Amazon, people confuse between a retail or a technology right. stock, but that's another great yeah. name to own. Right. Right, and then there's dividends to play with this. I mean, I just feel like this is a recurring thing too. Microsoft's got a dividend. Is that part of it too, or it's just you really like the fundamental story? The fundamental story, they have changed themselves from old-fashioned hardware-related businesses. They are a formidable player in cloud computing. Mm -hmm. They're actually emerging as a leader in something called hybrid cloud solutions, where mm -hmm. they, they're straddling, you know, right. on-premise software development and cloud-based application deployment. So it's just an interesting company. Visa, for example, using technology as a backbone, all electronic payments use their plumbing, their network, their infrastructure. Uh, so so right. these are the types of names you can't go wrong with. So 30 seconds left, you're here in New York, UN week. How worried are you about geopolitical risk at this moment? Geopolitical risk has a way of spiking up it rarely is lasting or secular in nature. Mm -hmm. So in fact, if there is any volatility caused by geopolitical issues, take advantage of it if security sell off and you can buy high quality names uh, at a lower price. My final word in the last three seconds is for this UN week, New York City does win the traffic sweepstakes oh, yeah. from Los Angeles. Yes, you're right. It's it, it definitely, for one week of the year, we're worse than L.A. in terms of <sighs> moving around. That's for sure. It's just nutty. Everybody who's coming in here is like, yeah, I, I took the train. I took oh, the train. Nobody's oh, taking absolutely. cabs. Nobody's yeah. taking cars. Well, I, I yeah. got in an Uber and ended up walking oh, because yeah. every street was closed. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no. There's no good reason to get into a car. All right. <laughs> Sandeep Bagat, always good to see you. Chief Invest Investment Officer, Whittier Trust. He's based in Pasadena. In California, although he's kind of a bi-coastal guy, uh, it feels like uh, moving back and forth all over the markets. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Jason Kelly, Carol Masser here with you on Bloomberg Radio. One of the things we're watching here in New York City because it's inescapable is the United Nations General Assembly. The UN so powerful in terms of affecting some of the biggest issues around the world, not the least of which is around gender equality and entrepreneurship. So let's check in with Deborah Gibbons. She is the Chief Operating Officer of Mary Kay. She joins us on the phone from Dallas. And Mary Kay is empowering, we should say, a women's entrepreneurship accelerator, uh, and that is in conjunction with six different UN agencies. Deborah, great to have you with Carol and myself. Thank you so much. Uh, we are excited to be a part of the UN General Assembly here in New York, and also we announced our accelerator today at the Concordia Summit, also in New York. So it's a great time to be a part of a UN uh, to announce a UN program. Deborah, tell us though about the program, exactly what it is and what it, what its uh, mission is. Well, our mission is to provide 
the support network, education, funding, access to networks, uh, advocate for changes in discriminatory laws, anything that can support women entrepreneurs everywhere around the world. So really, we want to engage any woman interested in entrepreneurship. There's no barriers to entry in this program. So it'll be for the micropreneur or a medium or small size business in any market in the world. And our goal, as I said, is to provide um, a broad, you know, there's a lot of different facets of what hold women entrepreneurs back when it comes to economic uh, parity. And so we're taking a multifaceted approach and we're focused on um, several key areas. But And that's why we wanted to partner with several different UN agencies to provide expertise and scale to us as we launch this accelerator. So Deborah, I, I want to ask you, and maybe this is a slightly offbeat question, but you know, you've been in the world of business for, for a while. You worked at PepsiCo, you know, you've had some big jobs across uh, the corporate landscape. Mary Kay obviously is very well known as a, a glass ceiling breaker right back to the, to the founding of the company. It feels like we're having a little bit of a moment right now in a very positive way around entrepreneurship, especially when it comes to women. A, do you agree? And B, why do you think that is? Well, I, I do agree. I think we are having a moment. And I think it's because people around the world, governments, um, agencies like the UN are finally realizing the power of what women can do. Uh, when you accelerate women, they have this, when you support women, they have a multiplier effect. And I think people are starting to realize that, that when you support a woman, it goes beyond her. She lifts up her families and her communities, ultimately her countries. And so I think people understand that, you know, we're 50% of the world's economy or the world's population. So uh, getting us to parity boosts economic development. Uh, and that's what most countries want. So I think we are having a moment. And I think through the UN Sustainable Development Goals, gender parities, you know, one of the key goals of those. I think more companies through their CSR are lining up around UN SDG. And so and because this is one of the key tenets of UN SDG, I think companies are getting aligned behind it. Talk to us about, though, the power of a private-public partnership uh, and how that can be much more effective versus maybe government or, um, you know, a private entity going, on, going it alone. Well, first, from a private entity perspective, you know, we've had an interest uh, in women's entrepreneurship since our founding, as you noted earlier. And while we're a big company, we're not a huge, a giant company, and we need some expertise on the ground. And so having a partnership with the UN, where the UN, where they've been on the ground in all the countries in the world, Mary Kay, as big as we are, we're only in just under 40 countries, the UN's everywhere. And so aligning with multiple UN organizations, depending on the expertise they bring, is really powerful and brings, it fills in skills that we you know, lack as a company. Right. While, we, while we want to have that from a CSR perspective, the UN amplifies it so much more. All right, 30 seconds left, Deborah. Give us uh, your key insight into the beauty industry right now. What are you seeing sort of around the corner uh, that you want folks to know? Well, you know, it's, it continues to grow, unlike some consumer product categories. It's a fun, engaging category that's growing in every market, every world, everywhere. And you know, one of the things that's been, I think, driving that is social media. Everybody wants to be look fabulous on Instagram, and so that drives a lot of interest in the beauty category. So it's growing, but it's becoming highly competitive and highly fragmented because everybody wants in. So it makes it... Um, 
have to keep companies like us that have been around for a long time. It keeps us on our toes. Great stuff. Deborah, thank you so much. Good luck with the program. Deborah Gibbons, she is the Chief Financial Officer and Chief Operating Officer at uh, Mary Kay. She's joining us on the phone from Dallas.